Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Special. Hello. What's happening, Derek? Well, I'm actually in studio. He's in the house. Uh, in the house. It's been, last time I've been here was before Christmas, so now that the uh, stay-at-home order, stay-at-home order is uh, rescinded, I'm allowed to drive again. You're here. You're <laughs> you know, here. for stuff other than work and whatever. Yeah. 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 Well, so, so we, we've been following the the rules, and it's so much easier recording here. It is. It is. Uh, yesterday. February 17th was the five-year anniversary of our very first episode. Uh-huh. Five years. And I didn't get you a gift. I brought beer. See, I, and I forgot it was the anniversary. I saw something, I think it was John Van Berger posted something a couple of weeks ago about our anniversary coming up. Yeah, yeah, that was a while back. Mm-hmm. So our anniversary's coming up. Yeah. This will be our fifth year or something like that. He mm-hmm. said, yeah. And he's not here because he's been doing the... Um, Quiet Adventure Symposium yes. recordings. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, this week. presentation, yeah. That's all started. And February 27th, the Saturday, is the grand finale of the Quiet Adventure Symposium because they're doing it the Tuesday, it's Thursdays, two, Tuesday, Thursday. Three weeks or something? Five, two weeks. Two, two weeks. weeks. Five nights. Um, I got my ticket. The grand finale on Saturday, the 27th of February. Kevin Callan will be speaking one, he'll be doing a seminar, I think, Kurt, uh, Cliff uh, Jacobson's doing one. I think somebody else is doing one. I'm just slipping my mind right now. And then they're doing a grand finale show. It's a live chat with Kevin Callan and Cliff Jacobson, moderated by... Some some putts or something. Yeah, some putts name. Sean Rowley from Paddling <laughs> Adventures Radio. <laughs> So that's going to be uh, that's going to be cool. A lot of good uh, things to listen to if you want to get your tickets. Only ten bucks. Uh, QAS uh, Quad Water Symposium or Adventure Symposium. Yeah. It's been the Water Symposium for so long. I keep calling it that. Uh, the Paddling Film Festival. If you go to our website, our paddling, uh, our Facebook page, you get all the information on uh, the, the Paddling Adventure or Paddling Film Festival. I got 15 different things on the brain right now. <laughs> Other than that, that's about all that's happening. I yeah. think. I think. <laughs> you think? I'm well, trying to. Well, we do have somebody lurking in the background. There is. But before we get to him, <laughs> or her, or the... <laughs> so, <laughs> just a little preamble to the evening. Yeah. You've got nothing to add? Well... <laughs> before we get into this... This is your I'll only chance. It, I'll mention it next week. This. What do you mean you'll mention it next week? Now we got to all wait till next week to find <laughs> out what you want to talk about. Well, so I was doing my sprouts thing, and then that led me onto something else, and then to something else. So now I've uh, I've discovered that you can uh, you can pickle sprouts. So right now I've got uh, I've got a batch of sauerkraut pickling in my basement. Then uh, this weekend I'm going to start pickling some of my sprouts. I'm going all organic here. <laughs> oh, are you, and, and you're getting right into the uh, pickleball too, right? Pickle- oh, yes. Oh, I forgot about pickleball <laughs> I already. I find more. Th- I have, it's not around here, I don't think. So. Well, I'm uh, sure it's in Toronto. Yeah. Everything's in Toronto. Yeah, well, start up your own league here. There you go. A Durham Pickleballers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think so, I'm allowed to do that yet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Break the rules. An yeah. underground pickleballer. There you go. <laughs> okay, so this evening. So usually this is the time of year we're getting ready for 
all the outdoor shows. And like I say, we mentioned the Quiet Adventure Symposium. Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show we're usually getting ready for right now. And, you know, you go to see all the, the paddling gear suppliers and looking at new canoes and kayaks, you know, the stuff you... Your wife doesn't want you to buy <laughs> that sort of thing. New tents, canoe tripping packs, all that sort of stuff. Um, we're looking right in the middle of planning those big summer trips right now. You know, hopefully we're, you know, like we talked about before, we're just going to plan them regardless of what's going on. We're going to plan yeah. them. Uh, so the Toronto Adventure Outdoor Adventure Show is a perfect place to find the outfitters that can shed light on the places you need to go and you want to go. They can give you the maps, recommend routes to take. They can tell you about some of the gear you're going to need that you might not think of, you know, like different little gadgets that you might need for different things. And some of those outfitters are going to hook you up with everything you'll need from canoe to gear to food and tents and even help you plan routes that should fit your skill level uh, and help you get the most out of a trip. You know, if you're, especially if you're brand new to canoe tripping and you want to try it for the first time, they're going to be able to help you out. One of the premier paddling destinations here in Ontario uh, is Algonquin Park. Now, we've talked about it a couple of times, right? Uh, you may, may have heard us mention Algonquin Park over the last five years. It's considered the jewel in the crown of Ontario provincial parks. You know, the big one, that's where I, the majority of people go to go to. Uh, trip and camp and hike and everything else. So tonight we're talking Algonquin Park. And who better to join us than Randy Mitson from Algonquin Outfitters. So with us tonight, Randy Mitson. How you doing, Randy? Hey, Sean. Hey, Derek. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, glad to have you with us. It's great. Yeah, yeah it's going to be exciting. We've been uh, looking to have you on for quite a while now. And uh, we're actually hoping to have been up on your your dock there behind the store last summer and do a little interview, and that kind of got kiboshed. So uh, now we got you up here. We got you tied to your chair up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remote interview. So, Randy, you are the marketing director with Algonquin Outfitters. Uh, you've been am- with them how long? 18? Uh, going on uh, 18 years since the day that I started as a canoe trip guide. Wow. Oh, you started as a guide. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with Algonquin Outfitters. Sure. Um, I uh, Actually, the very, very first interaction I had with Algonquin Outfitters was to purchase one of their canoe trip, uh, their canoe packs for uh for canoe tripping and i still own that pack today that was in the late 1990s right um i uh i reached out to gord to sell him some photography that i'd done in algonquin park and then when we moved up here um i worked as a freelance guide for a while and did the vast majority of my guiding with algonquin outfitters and uh eventually worked my way into the retail store so worked retail with them for a little while progressed to be the paddle sports buyer. So I bought all the canoes and all the paddles and all the life jackets, not just for their rental fleet, but for uh, their retail also. Right. Um, and then uh, after several years of working at the company, um, I approached the owner and said that, you know, we, we really need somebody in marketing and I'd be willing to do it. So that's, <laughs> that's how I've got to where I am now. So I, I've been doing marketing for most of the time that I've been there actually. Um, and the, the company has really changed in the 18 years that I've been around, but 
this is actually our 60th anniversary in 2021. So oh, wow, that's 1961, yeah. yeah, 1961 to 19 or to 2021. Wow, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think I first met you in the Huntsville store. It oh. was with when we were with ABR, I think, is when we first yeah. really got introduced. That's well over 10 years ago. Because we're doing some work with the park and with the rangers, and and then somehow Randy was involved with, I can't remember really the background, how we got Yeah, introduced. but we, we met you. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was like 15 years ago. Has it been 15 years now? Something like that. I, I know we see you every year at the Outdoor Adventure Show, and uh, yes, yeah. it's a shame that uh, you know it would have been this past weekend. And uh, I know, you know, we were able to, yeah. <laughs> huh. yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. It's it's one of those things that like you 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 uh, one of the, it's always the spring that I always plan for these things. And uh, even before mm-hmm. I started the podcast, it was like uh, you know the the can the the you know the Toronto Outdoor Show and all those shows that the the spring circuit that you always want to see all of them and. And this year is just the winter is it's like doubly, you know, I feel more and more like a shut in because there's not only am I not allowed to go anywhere, but I can't even see all these uh, outdoor shows that I'm used to going to. Right. It's uh, so it's a uh, it's kind of a double whammy to uh, to missing out on what the, you know, the spring tri- tripping tri- uh, planning and so on. Right. Well, we're trying to still reach out to everybody. So, I mean, that's part of the reason I wanted to uh, to jump on here with you tonight. Yeah. And uh, still reach out to all the people that uh, we maybe would have normally seen and a much bigger audience than that, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we don't do a lot of shows, but we've really cherished all the relationships that we've built by, uh, you know, meeting new people and seeing people that have been customers for decades and that, especially the multi-generational customers. We have quite a few customers that, you know, their grandfather came and, and rented a canoe from us and then their dad did. And now it's, you know, the, the next generation is starting to grow up to do it too. Right. That's, that's pretty cool. I mean, we've talked yeah. many times about how we're getting our kids into the canoe tripping and the outdoors and stuff like that. And, you know, it's going to be cool when our kids go up that way and say, Hey, you know what? I need to rent a canoe because dad's not lending me his. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have to thank you guys for doing that because it's really important that the next generation grows up in the outdoors and, and appreciating it and experiencing it. And when they grow up, they're going to be the advocates for outdoors too. So, you know, when they're adults and they have jobs and maybe they're in politics and making decisions and that if they've had experiences that they value in the outdoors, they'll continue to protect the outdoors and have, you know, that is an emphasis and not just their lives, but in, you know, everything that they do maybe. Well, I hope, hope so, because uh, I think, you know, we start, we're at this point where we really need to be protecting the outdoors as much as possible. And if, you know, we can get as many people out there uh, looking at it and trying to conserve it properly, then uh, I think, you know, we're going to be in much better shape. And if that means getting our kids out there every other week or for a week every summer or something like that, and, you know, even trying to get the kids out to do some winter camping and, and whatnot and, uh just get that experience. I mean, I grew up outdoors. You know, we, we say we were the outdoor generation. You be in before the lights come on, that sort of deal. Um, but, you know, in these days of electronic gadgets and video oh, games, yeah. Yeah. it's it's hard to get the kids to, to, to get into that. But, uh, yeah, you know, all you can do is try and 
kick them out of the nest and hopefully they <laughs> <laughs> they get outdoors, right? Well, the more experience, so my, from my experience, the more, the more you experience the backcountry as a, at a young age, the more you learn to appreciate it when you grow up. And you, and you see it in a lot of cases double. where, you know, like uh, people who are from like the city folk kind of thing, they have no clue what, what's involved with, uh, with camping in the outdoors and how to preserve and protect it. But then you see a lot of the people who grew up camping and and they're the ones that developed the love and they end up working within the industry or or, or in some form factor of, of the industry to that ends up preserving and protecting the backcountry so it's it's one of those things it's self-propagating the mm-hmm. the more you get your kids into it the more the future is better yeah i i have uh we have four older kids um the youngest is in her mid-20s now and you know quite a few of them come back every year to want to do a canoe trip with us and that so it's something that we introduced fairly young with them um yeah we we had you know camping in their bedroom and then camping outside in the backyard and then car camping and you know by the time they were seven or eight they were backcountry canoe tripping with us yeah uh i mean we have pictures of of our kids you know uh just i think it's like five or six going down Mm -hmm. Barren canyon you know, in the yeah. canoe and yeah, having a blast doing that sort of thing. But, uh, so what is your first connections with Algonquin Park then? Just paddling or doing the guiding? Yeah. So how did you get into the guiding part? Because that's not something that people naturally would gravitate to. You must have had a history of, of camping in the park uh, from family or something that, what, 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 what introduced you to the park and got you into your first job as guiding? Yeah, I, I really have to say that my early years in scouting probably is what really brought me to the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, my dad was in scouts, and uh, he was just a commissioner of our our scouting area in that. Um, so I I was in scouting from a fairly young age, and all the way through to to ventures and that. Um, probably the, the the point in my scouting career that really made a big difference to me, I was in Sea Scouts actually, and. Our Sea Scout leader was an old military officer, and so he—he—I he, he, think he didn't think it was scouts. <laughs> I, think he, I, think it, I think he still thought it was the military. <laughs> um, so it, it was pretty cool. We actually did a lot of things that scouts wouldn't do. Um, we had our own fleet of canoes and everything. We owned all of our own camping gear, and all of us had raised money to to buy that and done fundraising and everything else. So there was a lot of ownership in it. Um, our our sea scout group worked like a fine oiled you know navy vessel um and we all had duties and responsibilities and everything and i mean at the tender age of 12 you know we were planning trips and everything we did uh we did these survival hikes where we would actually go backpacking for i think the longest one we did was four or five days um and we carried everything with us on that trip and we we had to map it all out and plan where we were going and everything and through you know, being in Sea Scouts and, and being in ventures and being eventually a leader in scouting and everything, I actually got the chance to go to the World Jamboree in, uh, in Banff. Cool. Um, I was uh, an instructor at the Canadian Jamboree in Guelph, Ontario here. Um, and I got to go to the Pan American Jamboree in Jamaica with uh, 28 other guys for, uh, or sorry, 32 guys for 28 days. Um, so, I mean, there, there was some really interesting life experiences with that. And a lot of it was you know, with the sea scouts, it was canoeing and, and camping and everything else, just exactly what going to Algonquin Park is. Right. Um, so that, that was, uh, at an early age, that was something that I, I grew to really love and appreciate. 
Um, and I'd taken, you know, I was a lifeguard, so I had lifeguard training. Um, I was a canoe instructor. I did my canoe instructor training and everything too. And then all through scouts and everything, all the training I got there too. So it was a, uh, it was a natural fit when we moved up here. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I went from what beavers, cubs, scouts, and then the air cadets. <laughs> uh, my first, well, we, we, my dad got canoes for the family when we were, I guess I was about 16. Uh, and then I got my own when I was, must've been about 20. I got my own. I, my very first solo canoe trip was actually up Opiongo to Happy Isle. Oh, yeah. Wow. Very <laughs> first, ambitious. Yeah. 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 Hey, what did I know? Let's just time? go for the gusto. <laughs> <laughs> go pick or go home. <laughs> Uh, I've paddled solo Opiongo, and it can be challenging for sure. Opiongo, for those that don't know, is the largest lake in Algonquin Park. It's a big Y-shaped lake. Um, we actually run a water taxi service on Opiongo to safely get people from one end to the other so they don't have to paddle it. We just throw the canoes up on top of the water taxi. The boat has uh, some big racks on it. We fit four tandem canoes up there quite easily mm-hmm. um, and shuttle people to anywhere on the lake in uh, usually about... The farthest point on a good calm day, it takes us about twenty minutes in the motorboat to do that. But if somebody says that they want to paddle it, four hours. They always ask how long. Yeah, yeah, four <laughs> hours. Right now, it was probably a fairly calm day when you did it for four hours. Oh, right? Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. So I always say to people, you know, plan on at least four hours. But it could take an infinity amount of time if the weather's bad. <laughs> so, Next so that, Thursday, you might still be at the pinch point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We, uh, my wife and I kayaked all of Opiongo once. We did a three-day trip and just kind of traveled all the way around the lake. And uh, coming back, we had a wonderful tailwind. And she has a sail for, for her kayak. So she popped open the sail and just ruddered all the way back, and I could not paddle fast enough to keep up to her. Wow. So, Yeah, yeah. Opiongo is, uh, when that wind comes up over the hills, it comes up fast, and it'll come up brutal. you got to be ready yeah. for it. Yeah, I've been out I've been out with some friends kayaking. We quite often kayak it. Right. Um, part, part of the reason that we choose, if we're going to travel on it, to, to pick kayaks instead of canoes, is a kayak you can actually enclose. So we put a skirt on it and close the cockpit. And then that way, if we're getting big enough waves that it's breaking over the, the gunnels of the canoe or into the cockpit of the, the kayak, we, we're keeping the water out with a skirt. Yeah. And I've actually been out with some friends. It was windy enough and the waves were high enough that between, between the, the peak and the trough on the wave, I couldn't actually see my friend <laughs> that was just on the other side huh? of the way. Yeah, yeah. It was so big. The waves were so big that that you would actually lose sight of other people that were with you. Yeah, it's disturbing so, when you're out doing something like that. It's like, oh, I can't always see them. What's up with that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, a lake that needs to be respected for sure. Oh um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So it, again, that's why we run the water taxi service there. A lot of people will look at it and go, well, it's an extra cost. Um, but to get you from one end of the lake to the other end of the lake in 20 minutes in almost any condition, versus spending four to an infinity amount of hours yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the preferred method yeah. yeah we i've i've used it a couple of times one of them was actually an emergency uh pull off this would have been 14 16 years ago now there was a the tropical storm came through uh pog lake we were camping there car camping it absolutely got flooded but we actually went in my son who was i think about eight at the time eight or nine 
uh, him uh, and myself and my brother and a couple friends went in to Little Crow. And when we came out, Opiongo was just roaring. And uh, we, we flagged down one of the water taxis and uh, we, w- we yeah. wouldn't have made it off the lake. Absolutely no way. It was that bad. Yeah, it yeah. was that bad, yeah. yeah. And that, even, that happens quite a bit. Yeah, yeah they, they were even having problems with those two big engines on the back trying to get back. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, we do encourage people to book the water taxi and, you know, we always say, you know, it's better to book it. And, you know, if it's calm, it only takes you 20 minutes and you cut a whole bunch of time out of your trip. Um, but it's rough, you know, now you're actually safe being out on the water and everything being on the water taxi versus in a canoe. Yeah. Um, our, our drivers are instructed, you know, if, if the weather's bad, they're looking for people. So I wouldn't count on it because there is lots of times that they don't see somebody on shore trying to flag them down because the lake is just so big. Um, but if they if they can come to rescue somebody, they definitely will do that. And you know, if you're there on a on a weekend when it's busy and the water's rough, they're spending every free moment that they have just pulling people off the lake. Oh, and that's exactly what had happened. They said because I look at I look at Opiongo like Mickey Mouse's head. <laughs> you know, he's got the two big ears at the top. We were coming out the we, we crossed. Uh, well, we came around the shore, the, the one ear to the, basically the back of the head and, uh, waited there, happened to wave one down as he came by and he says, yeah, you know, I got a couple of pickups and then I'll be back for you guys. And, uh, yeah, the, they were just going nonstop. You could just see them going and going and going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a, that's a good, good point to make is that if, you know, if you can get to a point where the water taxi crosses by, if it's safe to get there versus, you know, your campsite that's back in a bay somewhere, mm-hmm. um, you do have a much better chance of being picked up. Yeah. Um, we do have people that call us on, you know, the, the satellite phones or, you know, whatever to, to, to try to get us to come and get them too. We, we respond to those also, but you need, you need a satellite phone to be able to call the store, obviously. Right. Yeah. So yeah, if you're, uh, you know, if you're out and you're, you're worried that you might not be able to make it because the weather looks like it might be bad on the day coming out or whatever is make sure that you're at a spot where the water taxi passes by close or you're, you know, if you can get to the other end of a portage where they drop people off. So if you're coming into the lake, um, you know, wait at that portage because most likely they're, they're going to be bringing somebody sometime there, especially if it's a, a popular portage. Yeah. For it, so, yeah. Or the other option is just set up camp and tell your boss the next day you got windbound. <laughs> it windbound. <laughs> Had to take two extra days vacation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> couldn't couldn't make it in last week. It was just too dangerous. <laughs> that's uh that that's a good point too, because there's a lot of people that make a decision to go out on rough water just yeah. because they, they have to be at work tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, anytime I do a canoe trip, I always make sure I book an extra day on the end of it. So I'm not actually due back to work the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, that gives me the flexibility that if I have to stay put a day and not move because the weather's really bad, um, then I can safely and easily make that decision because I've got that extra day for it. I, I always book an extra day because I want to put my gear away. So I want to, want to dry my gear and clean my gear and organize it and put it away at the end of the trip. And I always need an extra day to do that. So if I get windbound on a day, I, you know, my gear's not getting put away, but I'm still back to work on time. <laughs> yeah. Well, my boss kind of knows. If he doesn't see me on the Monday or whatever, then something's held me up, you know, so we're good that way. But yeah, you got, you got to think about it. And and that's the one thing is I've always said about some of the lakes now going, because the North West corner gets pretty windy as well, like up a Kiosk and Cedar and, 
and stuff like that. He says, you know what? Take the day. Your boss is going to yell at you, but at least you'll be alive to be yelled at. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've seen in recent years with the change in weather that it's a little bit harder to predict the weather patterns now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I have my pilot's license and part of that is taking meteorology in that too. Um, so I, I used to be very good at, at predicting the weather, but the weather patterns in Algonquin definitely have changed in the last few years. Um, we used to have a saving, saying that we would say to people, just a little rhyme that that lets people know the direction of the wind kind of thing. And most, most of the time the wind comes out of the West. So the wind from the West, we love best the wind from the East release the beast. So when that wind turns around and starts blowing the opposite direction that it normally does, it tends to back everything up and you tend to get storms and everything. Yeah. But recently I, I've seen a lot of winds coming up from the, the South too. So we get a lot of those South to North winds. So the lakes that were the long way of the wind usually were the ones that were nasty. So not just Opiongo being as big as it is, but, you know, some of the lakes like Cedar can be pretty nasty because it runs that that kind of west to east length. Yeah. And it's a long lake, so you get the big waves building up. But when the wind changes now in recent years and it's blowing from south to north, now all of a sudden it's a short crossing. So you don't get the big waves anymore. Mm-hmm. So you're noticing not say that that's... You notice a change Sorry, in weather over the last few years? Like it's just, it's like noticeably totally. different in the last couple of years? Yeah. Oh. I, I, I wouldn't say it's so much in the last, you know, couple of years, but... Probably in the last, uh, you know, the last decade, last last half of the last decade, probably I've noticed a difference in the weather patterns for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We look at uh, the one thing that we do with weather, people will, will call, they, they book a trip and they're like, what's the weather going to be like? It's like, <laughs> when's your trip? Like two months away? <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be warmer than it is today. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you'll have less bugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, Algonquin is so big. It's it's almost the same size as the island of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So you don't you have all these different weather patterns, and the weather that goes through the west side comes out the east side a couple of days later. Sometimes it just depends on how fast the wind is blowing in that. Um, so it is a very large area, and the the weather patterns are are very different and everything. So we're constantly looking at the radar because that tells you what's coming really soon. Um, and you can see all these different weather patterns now. You can see the north, the, the direction of the wind now than what it used to be mostly blowing to the east. Um, you see the, all these changes that have happened in the last little while. I've actually been on the lake. I was on Manitou um, a number of years ago, and we had three thunderstorms around us. And we were out on the lake, and we were like, okay, we, we need to head towards shore. And we were looking, we are like, okay, well, if we head that way, there's a thunderstorm. If we head that way, there's a thunderstorm. If we head back this way, there's a thunderstorm. So we just kind of tried to paddle between them and we paddled the whole lake and never were actually under the thunderstorm, but there's three of them around us the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's lots of times where you see it's raining in one spot and it's not raining another spot. I was driving home one day up highway 11 from Huntsville and it was raining on our side of the road, but it wasn't raining on the other side of the road. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it is very local patterns here. So yeah. I, I always say, you know, it's not a canoe trip until it rains. For it. Um, and I mean, that, that doesn't have to say that it rains all the time here. Um, but it's more of saying that, you know, if you're only going for two-day canoe trips only when the weather is good, you're probably not really experiencing a canoe trip. Yeah. And you know what? I've noticed, like, I don't mind the rain. If you're on a five-day trip, if you get five days of rain, I do. But if you get one or two out of the five, you know, whatever. But I've been noticing, like, when you're talking about change of weather over the last 
five to 10 years, the wins, a lot stronger, more consistent wins, um, especially the northern part of Algonquin. It, it just seems to be every, well, last year, the year, year before, when did Tracy and I almost get divorced? Was that two years ago now? <laughs> <laughs> that was on uh, North T or something? North T. <laughs> every trip I did that year was my, my, like windbound. My wife and I, it was, it was white trout. Or sorry. God, I always get them mixed up. Um, Beside, uh, uh, east of, uh, of big trout is white, white trout, white trout, white yeah. trout. Okay. Um, we were on white trout and we got some of the worst weather coming through there. Um, and we, we actually had waves breaking over the canoe, filling our canoe with water. Oh, and, uh, I, I think, I think that was the time that I almost got divorced, but it wasn't because of the weather. It was because I left her fishing rod behind when we oh. stopped to, to wait oh. out the storm and I forgot to put it back in the boat. <laughs> so Oops. <laughs> Yeah, that was a big oops for sure. You, you know the the storm that you mentioned earlier on that when you, you were saying you were in the park and you yep. had a really bad storm. Yeah, I think I was in the, the park the same the same time. I, I had a guided trip that I did, and we had the the tail end of a hurricane that actually made yeah. its way to to Algonquin Park. And I was on a five day guided canoe trip with five guys from all over the world. None of them knew each other, and it rained heavy every day. Like, I think in five days, we probably had maybe 10 hours of non-rain. Um, there was one point where we were paddling through Grassy Bay, and it was raining and blowing so hard that I had a hard problem opening my eyes because the rain was stinging my eyes. It was yeah. blowing so hard. And I was like, guys, we need to get off. <laughs> like, I can't <laughs> see where we're going. The cool thing with that trip was because of the hardship of it, the five guys that didn't know each other, pulled together and worked so well together they they by day two they were into this routine i didn't have to ask them to do anything they knew exactly what needed to get done and they did it and they were just happy to have a tarp set up and a fire going and a warm warm meal in their belly at night to to be able to enjoy some time that they're not actually in the rain yeah when we were paddling grassy bay and it was windy and blowing so hard the only reason that i hadn't got off the lake already was we had a family of otters paddling beside us. Oh, and everybody was, wasn't looking where we were going. They weren't looking into the rain and the wind and everything. They were watching these otters that were playing in the water beside us as we were paddling along. And I actually had to convince them to get off, to leave the otters <laughs> and get off because it's just getting too, too, like it wasn't choppy really or anything. It was just windy and rainy and everything. I was like, I can't see where we're going. I, you're watching the otter. I'm trying to figure out where we're going. Um, we need to get off the lake. <laughs> And then shortly after that, when it, it calmed down and it wasn't windy anymore, but it was still raining, we were paddling down this little creek and there was a bull moose standing in the middle of the creek and the creek is only like 10 feet wide. And he's standing in the middle of the creek eating the reeds and everything and that, <laughs> the lilies. And so we stopped and we're watching him. And then I was like, okay, it's, it's starting to get dark. Like we need to push on because we've got one more portage before the lake that we're on. And he would not get out of his out of our way. We, you know, tried to make some noise, tried to get him away. He he was just content to sit there and eat. So we eventually snuck by him. So we were like, I don't know, maybe six feet off the side of this bull moose with a giant rack. And I don't think he lifted his head once to even look at us. He didn't even care. <laughs> no. So it's about time you guys was, moved. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what he was saying. He's like, come on, man, I'm just trying to eat my dinner here. Um, but I mean, the weather was probably the worst 
trip weather that I've ever been on. And I think you were out the same time. So you know what that weather was like. Yeah, it was, but, a, it was the edge of a hurricane. Um, yeah. and Baron Canyon, the road to Baron, cause when we came out the day after we did a little family trip up to the Baron Canyon and the road was almost, you're doing the Mario Andretti thing, weaving in and out <laughs> around the trees because they had cut all the trees that were down. They had cut oh. in half so oh, yeah. that you had to weave around. How so the road was, was this? this, this had to be at, well, Mackenzie's 24 and he was about eight. So 16 years, 15, 15, 16 yeah. years ago now. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. there's a, just, uh, I think it was about four or five years ago, me and a group of guys at work were planning a trip to, uh, we're going to go up to Travers and do the Petawawa. And so we, I think we left at like, uh, like, I don't know, midnight or something and, and headed up and on the way up, it was like, we had to slow down because we couldn't see it because of the rain. And when we got to the uh, to the east side of the park, we went to the outfitter to get our gear, and the outfitter goes, "Well, I'm not sure this thing this week this trip here is going to plan but go as planned. We're going to have to hand bomb all the uh, the canoe rentals because we have no power. And uh, honestly, we uh, we've already sent we already have a crew in there getting people out of the park because the whole way up to Travers, all these trees are down. There's people in their cars." parked between trees because they they're waiting for people that chainsaw to come along and uh so it was so that trip was off we took the rentals anyways had to we had to pay for it later because we he, he didn't have power and so we ended up taking those canoes and went up north of sudbury it's <laughs> like well and wait, Derek still has that canoe to this day <laughs> <laughs> but we had to do something right so it was like well what are we gonna do yeah so we can't get up to travers the guy says oh, it's gonna be like three days before the roads open and it's like oh no mm-hmm. but yeah it was a wicked storm and i think that was about five years ago the storm blew through and it just knocked down so many trees on the east side of the park but then other days other trips you're sitting there and it's absolutely like you couldn't ask for better yeah yeah. You know, you wake up in the morning, there's that mist on the lake ah, yes. and there's just glass when yeah. you, you know, pack up camp and all day you're traveling on glass. Yeah. You know, I don't think there's a morning, I don't think there's a morning that it's calm that I get up and I don't come out of my tent without my camera in my hand. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you know that, that golden hour in the morning, just as the sun is coming up is yeah. when you the, know, the lake is going to be like glass. The burning yeah. off and... Oh, and there's going to be a loon, you know, washing itself in the, <laughs> yeah, the lake right, right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I literally, I do not think if, if it's a calm day, you know, it's not raining and storming and everything. If it's a calm day, when I come out of the tent, I always have my camera in my hand because I know those are going to be the best pictures of the day. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now I divide um, Algonquin Park into five sections. There's the North section. Which is like, you know, it takes a bit longer to get to from Southern Ontario here. But, you know, you got like Maple, you got Mani- Manitou Lake is the one we always said, if there's a nuclear war, that's where we're heading. <laughs> because it's want, it's beautiful and the, the bass are huge. You want to know something that's interesting about uh, the north part of Algonquin Park versus going in through the corridor and that. I, I work in Huntsville. Yeah. So we, we have a store in Huntsville. We also have a store in the north central part of the park at Brent. Yeah. And it actually takes longer for us to drive from our Huntsville store to our Brent store than it takes to drive from Huntsville to downtown Toronto. 
Oh yeah, so yeah. That, that just yeah. puts in perspective how how big Algonquin Park. Yeah. Is. Sorry, go ahead with your different areas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I interrupted you. Sorry. No, but I mean, there's days where I mean, we did when my son was I think he's about ten or eleven. Uh, we got up one morning, and we drove all the way up and around to, to Kiosk, down in, into Manitou for an overnighter and back. But it's like people are like that's a massive way to go for one night but it's more the trip with your kid as well right yeah but yeah if you can get it's it's a long ways to get to the north part of the park from toronto uh but there's there's a lot of really beautiful areas up that way uh there's the highway 60 corridor which is you know the major tripping launch sites of canoe lake and opiongo uh you know canoe lake up from there they call main street Oh yeah, um, but you got the Tom Thompson Queen, Queen and Young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you got the hiking trails, the car camping, all that sort of stuff along the Highway 60. There's the Southern Algonquin, which is Kings Coat and Shirley Lake stuff like that. I don't think that gets as much use. Um, I've gone up through the the Kings Coat area and into Scorch and everything, and. I wasn't too impressed with it. So I've sort of stayed away from that area. I think most people do. Like I was, I did a trip there last year and it's, the, you know, the portages are not as beaten down. Mm-hmm. Uh, the campsites aren't as heavily used, but you're, you're kind of in a depression there, like in a, like in the, like a swampy area, the bugs are pretty bad. Yeah. And uh, so it's, uh, but it is, it is a nice area. It's just not as heavily traveled. It's less Yeah, I known. think just the time of year I went, everything was, a bit dry, and then you're all through walking through mud and bog nonstop. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, like, you don't mind that if you're on a northern trip and that's what you're going for. Yeah. But when you're thinking, yeah. I'm just going to go for a nice, easy. It's it's a good area if you don't want to drive all the way around to the north, but you yeah. want a spot that's yeah. not traveled very much. Yes. Um, so there, there definitely is. I would say there are probably more locals that go in there than than tourists. Right. Um, and we, we do have a store in Halliburton and Minden in that. So we do canoe rentals there. So if you wanted to come up to Halliburton, rent a canoe, and then go in through the, the panhandle, as we call it, of the park, um, you could do that without even having to go as far as the Highway 60. Yeah, yeah. That's that's perfect if you're down the Halliburton way. Uh, so the southern side, the northern side, Highway 60, and then you get the west side. Mm-hmm. Um, last becoming pop that, that was really popular last summer. Bice Lake, Misty, Roseberry, McCraney. Uh, if you're just a little piece of advice, there McCraney has the dam on the south side. Don't be walking around the dam without shoes on. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh no. Oh, it's Leech Central. Oh, is it? If you're into yeah. blood suckers, do it. <laughs> if you're not, don't. <laughs> that that southern dam actually goes down McCraney Creek yeah. and into like the the Big East River. It's actually part of our Minas Link route. It is. Mm, yeah. And and living up to the term of Minas Link, you're actually traveling upstream to get there. Um, yeah. The last I can't remember how many kilometers. The last the last seven kilometers or something like that of Maybe it's four kilometers of, of McCraney Creek raises like 75 meters and four kilometers or something like that. Um, you know, it's, it's a, you've been down through that way, Derek, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's yeah. quite a hard slog. It's yeah. It's not the easiest yeah. thing to do, but they do <laughs> there, have a there's new some portage. Old, yeah. There's some new portages or yeah. some old portages that have been revised. Rediscovered. Um, some yeah. People have, yeah. Yeah. Some people have gone in there and cleared them up a little bit in that. 
Um, so the, the the trek up and over the hill into the southern part of McCraney is uh, a little more pleasant than it used to be. Yeah. There's a lot of people getting lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last side is uh, is the east side. The last section mm-hmm. of the, is the east side with Barron Canyon and stuff like that. That's a really cool area. Uh, each section of the park offers something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different topography, different style of camping, and sort of different. Uh, it's they're very unique areas. You get uh, was it uh, tends to be more rocky on the east side. Yeah, and uh, you get a lot of uh, boggy, marshy areas in the south. Uh, the north is more. I don't know, just more wide open, bigger lakes and bigger mm-hmm. air, bigger sky. Hills that funnel the wind. Yes. So, so something something unique about the north side is the rivers that actually flow through the north side was actually part of the last ice age. There used to be a giant lake that was on uh, you know west of Algonquin Park. And when that melted and turned into a lake from the ice age, a lot of the water actually flowed down through that northern part and down through the Petawawa, the Natch and stuff like that. And that's where those big canyons come from. Right. Yeah. Is is the last ice age melt. Yeah. There is a fern in Barren Canyon. I believe it's a fern that they usually find like up Arctic Circle Way. Oh yeah, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's in one very of these, unique for the area. It's in one of these eighteen books that I have here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a lot of books on. Um, the park and I've spent a lot of time looking at the maps and if you get a book, do you have the incomplete anglers? Sorry, are you asking me? The, yeah. Do you have a copy of the incomplete anglers? I, I do not have a copy of the incomplete anglers. Really? I, 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 I do not. No, I, 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 I when, I'm sure when I first started, <laughs> when I first started as a guide, I, uh, I bought a whole pile of books. Um, and I haven't really bought a lot recently. So, when was it? When did it come out? This one came out in 1946. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 been, I know you've been there a while, Randy, but That's I don't know. That's before my time. Sorry. Um, was it 1943. Uh, basically, it's two brothers. Uh, one was an English teacher. I think one was a doctor or something. They used to do a lot of trips through Algonquin Park. And when they were windbound on a lake one day, they decided to start telling their stories and remember this happened, remember that happened. And one of them wrote their, all these little stories as if it were one complete trip. And I've actually gone through the book. I mean, there's writing all through the book. Um, and I've actually got them the canoe routes map of Algonquin Park and gone through the book. And I've written, well, this is this, this is this, this is where it is. This is the portage to, uh, like, like a half mile portage is now 180 meters. Uh, 200 meter portage. 180 meter top of Francis Lake. You know, so I've gone through the whole book and I could actually follow this book now and follow their exact route that they had this so-called canoe trip through. But it is, it's a really good read. Uh, he wrote it and it was a surprise bestseller in 1943. It was given out a lot of Christmas gifts during the war. 
I'm surprised you don't have one, Randy. <laughs> you, you can get it on Kindle for $3.83, apparently. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an original, but I've got, uh, I think, like a 1988 version or something like that. Uh, yeah, second yeah edition, I, I, I have to look at the cover. Second edition, the blue one. Yeah, I, I had to look at the cover to see if I actually had it in my collection somewhere, because when you were explaining it about all these little stories that connect together, I, I, I know I have a book in my collection like that. Mm -hmm. um, but looking at the cover, I, I don't recognize the cover, so I, I don't think I have it in my collection. Yeah, it's, def it's definitely, like I say, I've got, when we go, the, go to Algonquin in the summers, uh, we go to Pog Lake and put the trailer there, or the tent, with whatever we had at the time. We go to the visitor center. Especially. That's the one thing I do have to say about Algonquin Park is if you are car camping and stuff like that on the Highway 60, if you have kids, their educational seminars and programs they have for kids, outstanding. And, 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 you know, like when our kids were there, like every day, a couple of times a day, you know, first thing in the morning, they'd be up and we'd be off to the visitor center to have a talk on Algonquin's bats. Uh, they have the wolf howls, of course, at, on Thursday nights, is it? Yeah, usually Thursday. Thursday yeah. nights. Uh, you know, and then in the afternoon, we're going somewhere on a talk for a talk on reptiles of Algonquin and you're doing a, yeah. a, a nature hike and stuff like that. So, you know, you'd buy they're, a... They're, sorry, I was just going to say they're naturalist programs and the programs they have for kids and just the visitor center alone is something that I highly recommend. Oh, if yeah. If you've never been to Algonquin Park, the first place that you should go to is the visitor center just to get a better understanding of the park and just even just their wildlife board that says where all the local wildlife sightings recently have been. Oh yeah. Yeah. We've, we've, uh, gone in there and, you know, we, the kids don't forget to write that dad, you know, we saw, we saw a moose and, <laughs> or we saw a bear run across the road or, you know, we got mugged by raccoons or <laughs> whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, you're, you're there. And of course, every time I'm there, I end up buying a book and now I've got, well, just off my one bookshelf, I've got 18. So <laughs> it's, it's uh, definitely something to see. Um, yeah. The history. Well, you got something there, Derek? Well, uh, is it the Northern Maidenhead fern you're trying to think of? I can't remember what it, you could You could tell me whatever yeah. it is. And just, it's that, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's an Arctic fern mm -hmm. that grows at the bottom of um, uh, Bering Canyon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. The history of Algonquin Park, uh, is, I think it's the only one that still has logging in it. Well, that's the, that's but unique that's, in itself. Yeah. That's why That is why park. Algonquin Park is, exists today. Yeah. It's because of logging. So the logging yeah, industry was... approached the uh, government of Canada or on, on province of Ontario, whatever they did, they approached and, and they wanted to, they saw that development was moving north and they wanted to protect their logging areas. So they said, let's preserve this large tract of land for, and you know, so that there's no development farmland, just keep the farmers out and keep the development out. And they ended up developing Algonquin Park, but it was as a woodlot preserve type thing and so if it wasn't for that Algonquin Park wouldn't have existed you know it, it, it is and logging still sustains it's they they do it in a sustainable way to protect preserve and continue the uh, Algonquin Park in, in its current existence and you know that's like they were they work 10 years out on the on the logging plans for the park so it's a lot of people are going get rid of logging it was like well wait a sec you know the logging 
they kind of help preserve the park. They they love the park and the, and the backcountry just as much as campers and canoeists and so on, right? So it's one thing that it uh, a lot of people kind of overlook and, and don't have uh, the full vision of what Agoncon has created for and how in the history of it. There, there's also a lot of spillover into the recreational part of the park. So most of the access roads that are not off of Highway 60 are actually maintained by logging yes. companies and that. So without the logging companies there, the park would have to maintain all those roads and everything. So the, the cost to managing the park would go up. Yeah. Our fees to access the park would go up. And it is highly regulated. So, I mean, everything has to be approved. Um, you know, there's recreationists that are on the, the board and that too that look at it. There's lots of areas that are protected and quite often the, the protected areas grow over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you look at the original map of Algonquin Park, it was smaller um, they've added much, much more area to it by protecting more areas. You know, turtles, wolves, stuff like that are all protected in the park because of it. So it, it has a lot of really good benefit to it. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just think that, you know, they see, what's the current listing? I was just trying to look it up here. They see that, you know, 49% of the park is open to logging or something like that. And they think that 49% of the trees are going to be cut down this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's not the case at all. It's a very, very small percentage and they do it in a manageable way that it grows back. Selective. Um, I always, yeah, I tell people if, if you think they're going to cut down everything or they're cutting it down, they you know, go on Google earth and look at the satellite maps and show me where they're cutting down large swatches of trees. You if you go north, it. Yeah. Yeah. If you go north of the park into northern Ontario, you can definitely see large areas that have been cut and that, and you don't see that in Algonquin. No, they're not um, doing the clear so cutting like they used to back in the day. No. Oh, definitely no. not. We actually, we had, uh, we had a couple of uh, young ladies approach us a number of years ago, um, proposing to do a TEDx event. Do you guys, do you guys know what TED events are? Yes. yes. And yes. I, we were yeah. a part of that uh, TEDx event. Oh yes, you were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Back in the day, see, we've known you for a long time. <laughs> I actually, um, the year that you were, you were the second year, right? Yes. Yeah. I yes. Think, yes. The, yes. that year I actually got asked by them to MC it. Yep. And I, I had just had some pretty nasty cancer surgery. Um, and I, I wasn't able to MC it, but I was involved with a lot of the production and everything. And, and I probably sat in on your, um, your interview with it when they, they did it online and that, um, but it, it was a really cool thing. And when they approached us originally, this is another you know group that we were involved in from before they started. Um, they approached us and they said, hey, we really want you to be involved in this. And we're thinking about bringing recreationalists, loggers, and indigenous together in the same room to talk about Algonquin Park. Yeah. And we were like, hmm, that could be interesting. <laughs> and it was and, interesting. Uh, it was very interesting. They did it really, really well. Um, they were actually from a logging family, so they wanted to have, you know, uh, try to add education about logging in the park because there was a lot of kind of pushback. There was a Facebook group that was like Save Algonquin Park from Logging that had 50,000 members on it and that. And uh, they wanted to educate people about logging. And I went to both years, obviously, and I learned tons from mm-hmm. that not not just on logging but from other recreationalists and and people that talked and everything about it and uh you know from native people and indigenous that came out to talk about it too so it was really great to have all those people together in the same room yeah and that was, was an amazing uh, talk. that was back in our days of the uh, algonquin backcountry recreationalists yes. yeah yes that, that was yes. how we were there we we're there as abr yeah 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Feels I totally so forgot about that. Now. <laughs> I feel they're, old. They're still on, so they're all still on YouTube. Yeah. So yes. if you just search out, if you just search TEDx Algonquin Park on YouTube, they'll come up. We've yeah, got a channel on our YouTube page with them all there. Um, and I still go back and watch them occasionally because they're great, mm-hmm. great little uh, talks and that. Yeah. Well, if you go to the logging museum, you'll get the, you'll get quite the history of of logging. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And if you do get the chance, whenever they bring it back, is Logger's Day. If you ever get the chance to go to Logger's Day in Algonquin Park, it's awesome. Yeah. It really is. Now, I assume, Randy, you've been to Logger's Day, so we're talking to our listeners here. Is, uh, so it's a, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to go to. I've been to it a few times. I brought the, the wife and the kids when they were really young. And so it's, uh, but have, when have they done that? When's the last time they did a Logger's Day? A couple of years ago. Yeah. It didn't yeah, happen last co- year. Yeah, COVID is, is yeah. put on hold right now. Yeah. So, like everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but I'm sure it will come back again. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's a blast. Like you say, it's a you, you definitely get the history of the whole logging thing there, uh, all the way back from the the Cambu shanty huts, all the way up to modern day uh, machinery that are used to cut and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool. It is a so, a lot of people don't really appreciate. You know, they're oh, I'm going to the park. Why would I want to see a logging museum? But you know what? It gives so much history of logging in the park and how things are created and where things came from and how they got to where they are now. And and you get to go through and see the old equipment and the old shanties. There's an alligator there, like uh, almost a fully I want to say restored, but it's just it's uh, not functional, but it's uh, it's in really good order. You can walk through it and see the boilers and it's a lot of the stuff is just fascinating to walk through and and to see how. I was always fascinated by, uh, so they have to load the big trees into ships so that they can send them to England to make masts. And, and then you see how they squared the trees. It's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> they're wasting 50% of the, every tree. Yeah, yeah. hewing them to the But size, to make yeah. them stack properly so they wouldn't roll in the holds of the ships, they had to do that. Yeah. It was very yeah. fascinating to see the the evolution of logging in the park. So well, one, of, one of my things that I'm really interested in with the logging museum is is William M. So their their uh, warping tug or uh, yeah, alligator the tug alligator, yeah. that you just mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So I, I grew up in Simcoe, Ontario, and the factory that made the alligator tugs was when it existed would have literally been across the road from my house when I grew up. Oh, cool. Yeah, because um, the Sim- guy that invented it came from there. Yeah, yeah. So Simcoe actually has a working one. I don't know if they still oh, have it out on the water, but they used to. They had one that was fully restored, actually floated and ran and everything else. Do you know how many other alligator tugs there are in Algonquin Park still? Is there two on Burnt Island? There's one down on Catfish. Yeah. What what lake has the anchor and the and the old double wall log ice hut? There's a big old alligator anchor on a on an island site and. Is that Burnt Root? Uh, I, believe, I think it's Burnt Root. I believe, yeah, that's Burnt Root actually has one of the alligator tugs. It's probably one of the, the best ones still in yeah, terms of yeah, condition. You can, yeah, you can walk. You have to crawl um, through a through a raspberry bush, and you got to watch out for the bears, but it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> the bears will just and, point and you're, <laughs> you're right. There's another one on Catfish. Yeah. And, and then obviously the one at at, uh, at the Logging Museum. Yeah. And then there's also one that's that's really in bad shape on Glary. Is so there one in Galeria? Four, there's four of them that I'm aware of in Algonquin Park. I've, I've been to all of them. I don't think I was ever aware of the one in Galeria. Yeah, yeah it, it's in really, really bad shape. Huh. There, there's only pieces left of it. The, the one on Catfish on the island, too, there was a windstorm a number of years ago, and it, it blew over a tree that landed on it. So yeah. its smokestack used to be upright, 
its smokestack is now knocked over. Yeah. Um, all the wood is pretty much gone, but all the metal is still all the there. metal's still there. Yeah, all rusty. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. uh it's an old pinwheel one too, so it's got uh it's got the rings for the pinwheels on them and that too. So yeah. it's pretty cool to see that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, the other big thing that happened in, in historical is uh, the railway, the uh, Ottawa Armprior yes. Perry Sound Railway, and that was brought in because uh, J.R. Booth wanted to get his logs out, right? Yeah. So that came through, and it was also troop transport during the war. Oh yeah, was it? There was that. a POW camp in Algonquin. I've been through one of them. Yeah, there was the <laughs> airfield at Mew Lake. Uh, there, ah, yes, there's yeah. a lot of history you don't think about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe but, Highway 60 was a Depression-era make-work project. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so originally, if you were going to the Algonquin Park back at the turn of the century and that, you would have came in either by ship or by rail, most likely. So yeah. if you look at where all the railway tracks are that used to exist in the park, you'll see that there's places like the the Highland Inn and stuff like that yes. along those those railway tracks. So ignore all the roads and think, you know, railway tracks instead as the access point to Algonquin Park. Going up to Radiant and yes, yeah. stuff like that, Cash Lake and yeah. Um, then you got the cottages and recreation. That became a big thing in the park. Uh, artists, group of seven. Tom Thompson. Ah, uh, yes. Of right? Course. Tom, yeah. Now, Tom Thompson, now that's he, the thing, is he wasn't actually a He almost, a if he had lived longer, he would. it would have been the group of eight. Like, he was on, <laughs> <laughs> he was on the cusp of getting into that group. I don't, but 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 if, if Tom had lived longer, would the group of seven have formed? They were greatly influenced by him. By, yes. Uh, so he had, he had, greatly influenced them in a force i think his his life and death kind of got them moving yeah. forward and, and together and they became they came it became a huge well the group of seven became like canada's national identity at the time and and mm. uh it was a lot of people were very proud to be canadian because canada was well known around the world because of the group of seven and their works of art and people were going hey identify as canadian look at this is a group of seven this is us this is me this is our identity right so it's fascinating to look my daughter just did a project on this so i'm really, <laughs> I'm really intrigued, so. i can tell <laughs> So <laughs> she just had to do it. She's she's ten years old. She just did a presentation on Group of Seven for her uh, for her online. Dad, can you a, help me? A week two so ago. Derek just did a project on this. <laughs> no, she did all of her own research. I just kind of awesome. I I grilled her on it and says, "Oh, tell me about this. Tell me about that." She wouldn't do her presentation for me though. I said, well, "Well, who gets to hear it? Just my teacher." It's like, "Well, that sucks." <laughs> well, the other thing with Tom Tom Thompson is all of a sudden you get the great debate. Was it oh, an accidental yeah. or was it murder? Yeah. Dun, 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 what is it? The seven deaths of Tom Thompson? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, there, you know, all of that. Uh, I, I don't think you'll ever know the answer to that. No, no. no and we, you know what? So be it. Yeah. It was suspicious we, we circumstances, a, but yeah. Yeah. We did a really cool project with the uh, town of Huntsville um, a number of years ago. Um, they decided that they wanted to celebrate Tom Thompson's arrival in the area, the hundredth anniversary of his coming to the area to paint, which we thought was just a great idea. Um, you know, everybody always celebrates the anniversary of somebody's death and everything, but right. you know, quite often after they're dead, you don't celebrate events in their life. So we thought that was cool. 
Um, he was in the area for five years from the time that he arrived to the time that he died. So he spent five years in the area painting and working as a guide and everything else. Um, so we, we had a, a wonderful little project that we did then. And then to mark his 100th anniversary of his death, we actually did our, our very first paddle art contest where right. we provided paddle blanks for people to paint on for a cost. And when they were done doing their art, whether it was painting, carving, stained glass, whatever, they brought the, the art back to, a, to an auction that we ran to, to raise money for local art organizations in the area. And the first time we did it, I thought it'd be really cool if we had 100 paddles to celebrate the 100 years. Mm -hmm. And we were hoping to raise $10,000 for it. So I thought that was a little bit of a stretch. I always like setting goals that are, that are fairly lofty. Um, and we've never done it before, so we didn't know what we were going to get. Um, we actually brought in 300 paddle blanks, thinking that we would need way more paddle blanks than what would actually come back to the auction, because a lot of people would just keep them. Right. And we actually ended up, we had 1,200 paddle blanks that went out at the end of the two years, because it, it's over two years that we do it. We had 213 paddles come back, and we raised... I think it was just over twenty thousand dollars. Wow! For it, mm -hmm. so we we more than doubled, way more than doubled the number of paddles that went out <laughs> for it. Yeah, and then we did it again two years later, and uh, we had about sixteen hundred paddles go out. Um, we had a few less come back. Actually, we had one hundred and eighty-seven or something like that come back. But we were able to raise thirty-three thousand dollars the next time doing it, and it's actually coming up this year. We've been doing it for a year now. Um, we have some paddles already out with people doing art and everything. And uh, to, you can still get paddles at the store. We have another batch of 300 coming in soon. Um, so if you need a paddle for, to do some art on for this project, you're more than welcome to do that. We can order them online. They're on, in our online store. They're $30 for a paddle. And, uh, and then shipping on top of that. Um, or you can use your own paddle. You don't have to use ours. So you can use whatever paddle yourself. And then it just has to be in to us for the auction by August 31st. And then the auction will be online in September, middle of September. Um, and you'll be able to actually on, auction will be online before that, but it ends middle of September. Um, so you can bid on paddles. And we have people from all over the world that bid. We had two or three of them that went to London, England last time cool. we did it. So I know, yeah. there, I know there was a couple that went to Bowmanville. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I was, in, I took part in both of the, uh, both the auctions Excellent. previously. And, uh, the first one I found it, uh, I like what you get did for the second auction. The first auction I found frustrating because almost all the paddles were going all at the same time. And so I was yeah. like trying to figure out which ones I'm going to bid on. I could only bid on one or two because it's really hard to keep track of the, of the bids. And, um, yeah. and so I, I didn't get, I, I got one paddle and it was <laughs> just a, just a weird blank. It did like guy didn't carve anything. It was like a do yourself paddle, right? Nobody wanted it. I got it. <laughs> but then the second year, it was like in waves, it was waves of like 10 or 20 paddles. And, and so it was easier to bid on them. You could, and there's some really big artists came out and uh, did some paddles for the second auction. And it was like, uh, I, there's no way the, the, the no way I could afford to, to bid on some of those paddles because they are going for astronomical prices. You're talking like, like I think some of them Thousands. went for 12 and $1,500. The one was $1,800, yeah. but some of them were yeah. amazing. Like one, 
I remember one of the ones the the guy cut out a tree and filled in with uh, with green epoxy and and mm-hmm. it was a fascinating paddle. It's like oh, I want that one, right? So it's yeah, some of the artwork is amazing. What they what some of these artists can put forward and and put out as paddles. And I did manage to get uh, five paddles the second time around, and I'm in the process of building a display in my basement wall. I want to have all awesome. these paddles on on this uh, unique paddle rack, and so it's going to be my own little artwork installation in my basement. <laughs> there, there's so much of that project that I just love. Um, you know, it, it, and, and the first time around, I have to admit, we didn't get it completely right. <laughs> We'd never done an auction before. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've done lots of contests. So my focus was more on making the contest fair for people. And if we started paddles and some ran longer times than the other ones, I thought that wasn't fair. So, so the second time around, we staggered everything. So we, we loaded paddles. They became live at different times and they closed at different times. So they were all online the same amount of time. It was all still fair for the contest part of it. Um, but you didn't have 213 paddles all closing at exactly the same time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we also, um, we went outside of our website. So instead of trying to host it on our website, um, we had the first time around, we had 44,000 visitors the night, the last night of the auction to our website. And we constantly had at least 500 people all on the same page, refreshing the page over and over and over again <laughs> to see. It's going to crash. So, it's going to crash. It, oh, it, 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 it wouldn't let more people on. So, yeah. I mean, our, our web developer, myself, gained a few gray hairs that night trying to keep everything working. <laughs> so. So the second time around, it was like, okay, let's actually use a proper online auction service. And if, you know, a little bit of the proceeds go to pay them to do it right. Um, I, I think that was definitely the best idea to, to change that the second time around. Um, and we're going to do the same thing this time. So we're going to use the same online auction platform that we did before. Um, you know, it, it, it raised more money the second time around with less paddles. So I think it's, it's the right decision to do. And we had less people calling us going, I can't get in. I can't get in. <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Algonquin remains a, uh, artistic, um, haven, so to speak. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, even my daughter, I mean, she's, she's in university for art history, um, whatnot. And, she has her painting stuff, her box that she brings and she'll sit up beside a waterfall and, and paint and, and whatever that sort of thing. Uh, one of the big things historical wise that I'm into in Algonquin is the wolf research. Oh yeah. Um, that's when they realized, uh, you know, they brought in the, uh, uh, is it Pimlot? 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 The, the doctor, uh, yeah. professor there, he's a scientist guy, and he said, I'll come and do your wolf research if you guys stop killing them. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he, he came in, and he's the one that discovered that wolves would, first off, answer to howls from a recording, and then found out that wolves will answer a human howl as yes. well. Yeah. Right? So there's a lot of wolf research and a lot of... Um, knowledge gained from researching the wolves in Algonquin Park. But, and there's also a unique, what do you call it? Not species, a unique breed of, there's a sort of a. Well, the Algonquin. Yeah. The the Algonquin wolf. Yeah. yeah. So they, yeah. So it's very unique for that area. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of, there's a lot of research, 
Well, even the fisheries, the trout and everything like that, research that goes on in Algonquin Park. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about a multifaceted park, you know, you think of the logging, the canoe tripping, the camping, but there's a lot of natural history and sciences that go on in the park. There, there's really something for everybody is what I, I tell people. Um, you know, if you just want to come up for a car camping experience or a day hike or something like that, you can do that. If you want to go on a 21 day backcountry canoe trip and not see hardly anybody, you can do that. And then we have all of the research that's done for it in the forestry and also wildlife and that too. Yeah. Um, I've had the great pleasure of being involved with some of the research in that. I had uh, one of the researchers in the wolf um, research call me one day and say, hey, you, you live close to where we're tracking these wolves. Would you be willing to go out and see if you could find them? And they had they had the alpha female from two packs collared with radio collars so yep. they could GPS them and see where they were. And the two alpha females switched territories for it. So they wanted to know if the entire pack had switched or if just the alpha females had because they'd never seen that before. Um, so I, I spent about three weeks going out trying to find it. And I had the GPS data they gave me was, I don't know, probably two or three hours old. So it wasn't immediate. Right. Um, so I, I would see where they would have been and where they were going, and I'd go out and try to find them. I could never find them. <laughs> lots of tracks and lots of evidence that they were there, but never, ever saw them. All the wolf experiences I have have just been kind of by chance for it. Um, it's really hard to kind of predict where a wolf, even if you have a GPS collar, <laughs> where they're actually going to be. And that. So it's really cool to, to have that research going on. I had a, a really interesting uh, meetup with a gentleman in the park that I'm not sure if he was a real wolf researcher or if he was a little crazy. Um, <laughs> but we were out on a, out on a photography group and uh, we were taking some night photography and we were coming back at the, the airport at uh, a Mew Lake and that. And we came across these two guys that just had some equipment and red headlamps and we all had our red headlamps on. Um, so we, we stopped and was talking to them a little bit and they're like, oh, there's wolves around. And we were like, oh, probably there's wolves packs in this area. And uh, they said, they said, oh, the, the, the alpha male and alpha females around and they've got their pups and everything. And we're like, oh, that'd be really cool to see. But it's at night and we're never going to see them. And they said, oh, no, no, we, we can talk to them. We'll, we'll tell them to come and we'll tell them to bring their pups. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know they respond to howls and that, but I, I don't know that we've discovered their language and actually <laughs> talked to them. And, and he had these pre-recorded howls that he played and lo and behold like after playing them for about five or six minutes it took a little bit of time but all of a sudden we hear a wolf call and we're like okay and then they got closer and all of a sudden we were in a clearing and there was a low-lying tree line with uh with like pine trees and that and all of a sudden you he, he stopped and he's like they're, they're all out of the tree line and it's dark we can't see and he had night vision with him so he's like he's like look and so we're looking with his night vision and they're all lined up along the tree line looking at us with the pups and everything. <laughs> so oh, wow. like I said, I don't know if he was the, the wolf whisperer or what. Um, I, uh, I wrote down his name and I actually recorded on my phone their, their calls and everything just to prove that they were there. Um, but it was, it was a really cool encounter for it. And uh, sure, he might have been a little crazy, but uh, it was cool. Yeah, <laughs> don't take crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because people always talk about bears they're afraid of the bears you know we're going to see bears Mm -hmm. i've seen more wolves in the park 
than I have bears. And yeah, you, you go you go to the dump if you want to see the bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've um the best wolf one I've had, and I think I've talked about it on the show before, is we were down on McCraney going into Clara Lake. There's the little waterfall that comes down on the portage. And mm-hmm. as I'm coming back towards that that little waterfall, the top of the waterfall, because I wanted to do some photos of it, uh, I can hear the water going down. Now, at the top of the waterfall is a big old beaver meadow. So I can hear the water, so I lift up my canoe, the, t- the front of my canoe, just to make sure I know whereabouts I am. And there is actually a black wolf on the far side of this little creek drinking. And him and I, are, like I said, it, it probably lasted 15 seconds. Him looking at me, me looking at him. Uh, but it felt like forever, just this staring, you know, this connection <laughs> with this this black wolf just stare, standing there. And then uh, Marcus and, and Mike were coming up behind me. And the minute you could hear them clogging along, oh, okay, boom, he's gone. Yeah. And they actually saw his tail as he was running through the tall oh, grass. Okay. Cool. So it's just like, okay. Someone will believe me because they saw it. <laughs> but just to come face to face with, a, with with something like that is just yeah, absolutely fantastic. I would I take that over a bear any day. I've only ever heard them in the there, park. I've never seen them. There, there's quite a few wildlife encounters that you know you don't get a picture of, but it's yeah. still a really wonderful memory. Yeah. Um, we we had a we had a large group as a guided group in the park, and uh, we couldn't actually get them in the park to a campground the first night because everything was booked. So we got special permission to actually camp at, at the Tea Lake picnic area. So we had like ninety kids all set up in tents on the Tea Lake picnic area, wow. not a campground, but a picnic <laughs> area. Uh, and by the dam there, where Tom Thompson used to paint, mm-hmm. and the three guides were all sitting in front of our tent, just chatting. And all the kids are asleep; they're all they're all turned in for the night, totally sound. You can hear them snoring, and we're all talking and just talking about the trip that's coming up, and you know a little bit of logistics and stuff like that. And all of a sudden, we all stop at the same time, and we're like, "Are you thinking the same thing I'm thinking?" And we're like, well, "I don't know. What are you thinking?" Like, <laughs> we're obviously stopped talking, so we're thinking something. And uh, I think it was. Andrew that said at the time, he's like, we're at a picnic area. We're going to have some wildlife tonight. And we're like, yeah, we were thinking the same thing. And about just like a couple of minutes later, we're, we're talking kind of really quietly to ourselves and we hear a noise. So we stop talking and we're just listening and we can hear something moving kind of to the side of us. And, you know, we're all totally quiet and everything. And, and we hear it go past us and then stop. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody reached up and turned on their headlamp and there's a male wolf standing like probably 15 feet away from us looking at us. Wow. And what made it really kind of eerie is the fact that we're sitting on the ground. So we're at eye level with him. (laughs) (laughs) So, So again, we're saying nothing at all. We're just like looking at this wolf and he's looking at us and then he just turns around and walks away. And we're like, I bet you he's going to walk and check out the picnic area where the garbage is and stuff like that. So we got up and slowly followed him, and that's exactly what he did. He went around and sniffed around the the picnic tables and the garbage can and that to see if anything was left behind. And we kind of predicted it, going, we're going to have some animals. And like two minutes later, we had this amazing encounter with a fairly large wolf at eye level, not that far away. And he just walked away from us. Yeah, so that that was beautiful. I I don't have a picture because it's that night with a headlamp. Um, and I, I don't think I would have reached for my camera even if it was beside me. 
Um, but I mean, I had two other people with me that, that saw the same thing happen at the same time. So, yeah. well, we were at, I was just, we came out of Fort exactly what you're gonna winter about. camping. Oh no, it's not what I thought. And, oh no, <laughs> winter, <laughs> winter camping. And we made a, a snowshoe trail coming out. And when you stand on the observation deck at a uh, visitor center, oh yes, you look way over and you can see our snowshoe trail yeah. where we dragged all the gear out on sleds yeah. and everything. And the uh, snow was really deep. So we had packed it down and coming along where we had been were four wolves. And I've actually got video of that. Yeah. The four wolves. But that, yeah, the, the, the one other Darren's one was, talking about. So what lake was that? That was uh, on the east side. That was on we, the east side. We hiked the Barren Canyon after the trip. Yep. So we were, we had gone in, we we're on this peninsula point and uh and so we so it was like it was like one or two in the morning yeah. so we were all we all had just woken up like so we're all kind of confused in our sleep and we saw what we thought was like a bear is, is that a wolf what what's wrong with those oh wolves? yeah because the the bear barrel was going yeah so yeah it was like did that poor wolf get tied up in somebody's bear barrel like he's 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 dragging a bell around with him so we're all freaking out thinking there's wild animals running through our campsite and there was like two of them and slowly confusedly it's like those are two really big dogs with bells (laughs) on their necks one was a one was a wolf because i got out of my tent i say thinking that there's yeah something's dragging our our yeah. barrel away because there's a bear, he's the bell. pulling our food away and i look because i'm i'm looking up this rock hill yeah and i'm sitting there's a wolf yeah standing there he's just looking at and him. i'm looking at him and then there's another massive dog and it's like a great dane <laughs> <laughs> somebody's husky and great dane from up the lake yeah decided to take a midnight stroll <laughs> <laughs> so we're in our tents talking to each other like, you guys see that What's going on? <laughs> it's a wolf. And a great like, Dane? <laughs> <laughs> Why is there a great Dane hanging out with a wolf? I'm <laughs> so confused. Yeah. I want one of them wolf great Dane hybrids. <laughs> but, so it did freak us out, but yeah, it was a it was the there was a campsite just in the cove around the point from us and it was their dogs who just wandered off in the night and were yeah. checking out other people's campsites. But it's, like, it's not what you expect to show up in the middle of your campsite in the middle of the night. It just kind of freaked us all out because we had no idea what was going on. <laughs> no, and you know, when it comes to wildlife site, because that's what everybody wants, right? Yeah. I want it. Where, where's, where am I going to see the most wildlife? Where am I going to see the bears? Where am I going to see the moose? Where am I going to see this, that, yeah. the other thing? If you go looking for it, you find rarely it. find it. Yeah. But when yeah. you're not looking for it, boom, it shows up. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. The, the one thing I find is the longer you spend out whether it's on a multi-day canoe trip or whether it's just going into the wilderness on a regular basis, the chance of seeing a wildlife goes up just because of the frequency of being actually in the environment where yes. they are. Yeah. Um, you know, as a guide, there's ways that we can increase that chance of seeing wildlife, just knowing the patterns of where animals are at different times and that. So for example, if I take somebody on a canoe trip in Algonquin Park, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going to look for, um, you know, spots in the lake that we're camping on that are marshy and, you know, back in a bay somewhere, maybe a little creek coming in. And I'm going to go back in there in the evening because the, the chance of having a moose come out and graze is much, much greater at that time at that location than seeing one swimming across the lake at two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right. 
yeah. some of the what, probably one of the, the cutest experiences I've ever had as with wildlife is we were on a long trip in the backcountry of Algonquin Park and we were doing a portage and normally I carried the canoe and there's usually somebody, my wife or one of our kids in front of me without a canoe. Um, and they usually, you know, can see a little better and they're usually leading the way and stuff like that. But on this one portage, I was actually in the front for some reason. I can't remember why, um, but there wasn't anybody in front of me. And I was portaging over the, the trail and I, I figured I was probably about 60% of the way across. And as I'm going, I'm just lifting up the front of the canoe occasionally to be able to see farther down the trail. And this one time that I go to lift up the canoe, as I, I start lifting it up, I see these legs standing in front of me. <laughs> so I stop <laughs> and I, and I slowly lift the canoe up and here's this, this relatively newborn moose calf oh. standing in the trail looking at me so oh. he was probably about maybe four feet tall for it how close were and you? He, i was really like i was pretty close to him <laughs> so uh -oh. i was probably maybe 20 feet away yeah you're thinking the same thing i'm thinking where's mom <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's exactly what i'm trying not to scare him because he's not making any noise he's just standing there looking at me and i don't want him to cry out for mom and mom come over and trample me or something so I, I lift the canoe up a little bit and I'm kind of leaning it to a side, looking, trying to see around, going, is mom around here? Where's your mom? And so I, I'm like, okay, well, I need a better view and I need to not have a canoe on my head if she decides to come over and rescue her baby. So I slowly lift the canoe off and I put it to the side and put it down on the ground. And as I'm doing this, I'm looking at him and his eyes get really wide and he makes this squeaky cry and turns around and books it down the trail. But I'm, th I'm, I'm thinking... He's like looking at this thing, trying to figure out what it is. He's never seen Wasn't somebody it? portaging a canoe. He's and oh my God, it took its head off. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I never saw mom. And I'm like, okay, well, when the rest of my group kind of caught up to me, I'm like, okay, well, let's keep going. And we got to the end of the trail and he was in the marsh at the end of the trail with mom. Mom was at the end of the trail. <laughs> or, but it was the cutest thing ever because like, it, it felt like I was standing there for five minutes looking at him and he was looking at me i'm sure it was shorter time than that um, but my concern were, was where mom was and i'm keeping an eye on him at the same time and he's just kind of looking at me tilting his head a little bit like what are you i've never seen you before <laughs> and then as soon as i took the canoe off the reaction was like oh my god it took its head off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he just he made this squeak and turn around and ran down the trail as fast as he could. Feet don't feel me now. <laughs> it was the cutest thing that I've ever seen in Algonquin Park. Oh, man. Yeah, there's it, nothing like seeing moose on a portage. Yeah. <laughs> Preferably at the end of a portage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know what? I mean, you keep your distance. You got to read their body language. Um, and if you see one, don't be in a hurry. No. Just stand still, relax, yeah. just let them do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. As long as it doesn't involve trampling you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> or or it's it's in the fall and it's mating season. They want yeah. to mate uh -oh, with you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big yeah. rack you got there. I think we need to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Game on. Yeah. People think that bears and wolves are dangerous. I'm always worried more about the moose. Yeah. That's yeah. my concern. Yeah. Yeah. Moose moose and mosquitoes. Yes, oh, yes. Mosquitoes, <laughs> black flies. Beautiful. Both will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Randy, when you're talking Algonquin, you do little tours, there is something, a question you usually ask people. 
what's that question? <laughs> sure. So, so what does Grumman Canoes, Algonquin Park, and the lunar landing have in common? Well, I don't know. What do they have in common? Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people, the lunar landing kind of throws them off. They're like, whoa, what? Um, Algonquin Park and Grumman Canoes, those go in hand, hand, in, hand in hand. Um, but Grumman Canoes were actually made by uh, a company, Grumman, that's that's owned by Grumman Aerospace. What? Who actually, <laughs> <laughs> who actually built the Lunar Lander. And there's a wonderful facility in the backcountry of Algonquin Park called the Algonquin Radio Observatory that actually received the signal from the moon when they landed on the moon. So it all ties in together. <laughs> That's awesome. It is an amazing story yeah. to, to hear it told, and I've heard you tell it before. So uh, tell us more about it again now that we're uh, we're on air. Sure. The So the Algonquin Radio Observatory is a scientific facility in the backcountry, deep backcountry of Algonquin Park. Um, that's not open to the public. You can't go there. Um, but it was built in 1959, and it was it's a giant satellite dish, basically. It's the largest fully steerable one in, in Canada. Um, actually, the largest one in Canada. The third largest fully steerable one in North America. It's about 13 stories tall and about uh, 46 meters across. It's really this massive structure. Um, it was used to... Um, discover and map pulsars and quasars um it's actually ground station zero for uh for gps so because right. it it was involved in all this deep space charting and everything it became one of the most accurately located places on the planet they know where they on the, on the planet not just on the planet but within how its relationship to other places in the galaxy are um it's really really accurately located and they use that accurate location to, to basically set the location of the GPS satellites in, in orbit. So every time that you're on a canoe trip and you're using your GPS, um, that actually is being calibrated off of the spot in Algonquin Park. That's cool. That's fascinating, yeah. yeah. There's, yeah, there's a pillar or something, is there not? Yeah, there's a concrete pillar in the middle of the field that has a, a metal post in the very top of it that's very precisely aligned, which is the basically the point where they, they locate everything. Um, That's cool. It's a really cool little facility. I had the wonderful opportunity for a number of years when they were restoring it because it, it was abandoned by the Canadian government and partly tore apart. And then this other company, Thoth Industries, um, they went in there and they've restored it. And while they were restoring it, I had a number of years that I could take some personal tours, not for Algonquin Outfitters, just me and myself. Um, and we had some photographers that went in a couple of times a year to, to take pictures and have a tour of the facility. And we actually got to walk on the dish a couple of times. So they would point the dish straight up in the air and you'd climb through the, the concrete building that's below it and through the mechanism and everything and, and walk out on the dish. So that was a once in a lifetime experience. Well, that's pretty multiple cool. times in a lifetime for me, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a once in a lifetime experience for the fourth time. <laughs> I always found and it fascinating to look the at the history like... of all the things that are there. Yeah. Like there's not just this scientific, you know, multi-billion dollar piece of equipment that had all this really cool history that most people don't know that Canada was involved in. But there's old railway lines and there's places where there was old buildings and everything. Um, you can literally take a, a very long day hike to the deepest lake in Algonquin Park. There's ah. an old turtle club. There's this old truck hidden away in the woods. And there's just a ton of things that you can find just in this one little spot in Algonquin Park. 
there's a lot of history there. There's, I, I remember going up there. It was uh, many, many years ago, and and in one of the areas where we were waiting for a pickup to uh, get back out of the park, where there's, it, it's quite a ways from a kilometer or two away from the dish, and you go in there, and it's like this is weird. It's like it's like laid out streets and stuff. And I was told later that it's yep. uh, it's where all the barracks were, where the military came up to help build the dish, and it was just all laid out like streets. So there was all these little Quonset huts that were all built up there for all the people who constructed it. It was it was fascinating to see that kind of area. And I've seen the I've seen the dish from a distance. I always felt it was. Uh, the I've been up on Lake Travers quite a few times, and when you're heading out to go down the Petawawa, you you turn back and look back, and you yep. see the dish. And it's like, hey, this is like I'm on the moons of Endor. It's where the Ewoks have yeah. this. <laughs> you have this giant forest scene in front of you, and there's this giant dish poking out of it. It's like it is so surreal. That, that was so- exactly my first experience too. Was out on the water, looking back and seeing this thing poking out from the trees. And going, okay, wait a minute, we, we're going to set up camp, but we need to come back here to go and explore it. Yeah, and yeah. at that time, it was abandoned. Um, it still had some power going to it because it had some lights on it, and there was no gate and fence and everything else. Um, so we literally just walked up to it and took some night pictures, and I posted one of the pictures on a forum online. And somebody in the forum commented and said, hey, that's all great that you guys were there and everything, but don't jiggle the doors. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, okay, why? Well, I have to ask, why don't jiggle the doors? And he's like, well, my company has the security contract on it. If you jiggle the doors, the alarm goes off. And I'm in Ottawa. So I have to drive all the way from Ottawa to there to turn off the alarm. <laughs> I was like, okay, point taken. Don't jiggle the doors. And now there's security cameras and gates and fences and everything. So, yeah. And see, I'd be the guy that's going, let's test this. <laughs> <laughs> let's make a guy go for a three-hour let's drive. Let's see if he's lying or not. <laughs> All of a sudden on the forum, you're at the door, aren't you? <laughs> See you in three hours. <laughs> yeah, but it is fantastic history to think about this little piece of science and history that involves directly Algonquin Park. And and I was told it's uh, it's like a very quiet area, radio wise, and very quiet mm-hmm. area light wise. It's it's an ideal location to to have built this thing. And it was like back of the day. It was like leading edge and bleeding edge technology. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, even today, like the research that they're doing there today is still like leading edge stuff from 1959 when it was built. I mean, the the dish itself is still there and everything, but all the old vacuum tube computers and everything that they use to run it is now ran by modern technology. And yes. So yeah. it's really cool. I mean, I haven't been in there in a few years because they're not doing tours anymore. Um but, you know, to have the chance to be able to go and see, they had, uh, you know, they had one of the very first GPS units ever built. And it was like this giant box that you would put on a cart and wheel around for it. <laughs> they had, uh, yeah. they had their own little kind of network phone system that, again, was in a cart and a phone. And there was a piece of paper, a pad of paper beside it. Um, so you could write down the notes because you had to make notes of everything that you talked on the phone about. And there was a fire extinguisher because apparently the phone used to catch on fire all the time for it. <laughs> yeah. So just some of the history there is is just really, really cool. And I mean, you don't learn that stuff in school. And the no. the company that runs it, they're they're like professors at a university and they teach aerospace stuff. And you know, this company that they run is kind of, you know, is because of their their school and everything too that they've done. Now yeah. I'm I wonder with uh, do 
So Arecibo recently, what was it in December? Have has mm-hmm. it had completely collapsed? It was one of the. Yeah. It was the largest radio observatory on the planet, and now I'm wondering yeah. if it's it the uh, Gonquin Parks is uh, kind of stepped up in importance because of the loss of Arecibo. The the one in Algonquin is kind of unique because it's ran by a private company. Yeah. So like most of them are ran by governments, and you you've got to go through the government to get access to it and everything. So theirs was very unique because of the fact that it's not ran by a government; it's ran by a private company. Um, so I know like universities and everything, they would be able to get you know server space on their computer, and that instead of having to go through the government, which they would never ever get access to. So oh, it opened okay. up doors for a lot of businesses, a lot of universities and organizations and that that just wouldn't have access to that type of technology. Yeah, for the, re- the research and so on, yeah. 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 That's cool, man. Yeah. I think I think the one thing, again, I keep going back to Algonquin Park being this multi-use park. Yeah. And even for me, like growing up in scouts and, and learning the outdoors and getting skills to, you know, eventually become a canoe trip guide and you know, be amazed by the wilderness and the the beauty of the landscape and the wildlife and everything. And then developing into appreciation for the history of the park, the art, the logging, the science, you know, the research and everything else that's done there. You know, it evolves for me every year. Algonquin Park becomes something different. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I've I've been coming to the Algonquin Park for a very long time and I've worked here for almost 20 years. I was a canoe trip guide for almost four years. Um, you know, I add up the number of days that I have in the backcountry of Algonquin Park, and it's literally hundreds of days. But the experience for me keeps evolving. There's always something new. There's always something, you know, whether it's going out and finding all the alligator tugs and that, or, you know, trying to find all the spots that Tom Thompson painted and, and you know, going and visiting those spots or discovering the POW camps and, you know, even just the junk piles that, you know, existed before they started cleaning up the park. Some mm-hmm. of them are still there. Yeah. Oh, fine. Yeah, finding. I mean, when when you're camping, you go back, do a little tour through the woods, looking for firewood, and you find an old garbage pile. Yeah. You know, with yeah, old beer yeah. bottles from the fifties. Or and, you find an old you know, uh, old cedar canvas strip canoe that's decaying in the woods, and it's like, wow, where, how did yeah. this get here? <laughs> old and I, how I have long one of those in my canoe? garden. <laughs> <laughs> We, we did, um, for years and years and years, we did a, a, car, a park cleanup in the spring every year. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of things that you find doing park cleanups and you're like, like, how did this stuff get here? You get the normal mm-hmm. garbage in that that you pick up. But, you know, we've had old boots that are like decades old that are still kicking around. Or, you know, we found a, a, a toy kitchen set <laughs> once, like one of those plastic little tykes or whatever things yep. that that has the kitchen sink and the, the stove and everything in it. Um, and I found a, an old cedar strip canoe once. So yeah, you find things uh, all over the place. Got to keep your eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> it's all there waiting for and, you, and, Derek. And while you're keeping your eyes open, pick up some of the garbage and then leave the park in better exactly. condition yeah. Than, yeah. than you found The socks, yeah. the potatoes, the, the zip ties, zip ties, and... beach umbrellas, <laughs> yeah. old yeah. wrecked up lawn chairs. It, it's hard to pack it all out. Sometimes you find just way too much. Yeah. 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 I have enough trouble portaging what I bring in myself. <laughs> yeah. We actually, on one good note, um, you know, we, we haven't done the park cleanup for a few years now. And part of that was we just were finding less garbage. Oh, So, you know, the park, more people were following, you know, leave no trace and making sure they pack out anything that they bring in and everything. 
Um, I think this last year, if you saw online, that that might have changed with a lot yeah. of new people coming oh, to the park. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, we talked earlier about kids and bringing kids up to respect the outdoors and everything. And we did see a lot of new people coming to the park that probably don't have the knowledge or the experience and maybe were never brought as kids to appreciate it coming and then just not knowing what to do with their garbage. So yeah. I still think most people are very, very good and they're very respectful and they you know, make sure that they don't leave stuff behind and they clean up. A, quite often they leave it in better shape than what it was when they came. They, they'll actually find some garbage and bring it out with them. But we did have some people last year that just had probably never been before. And they didn't know what to do with their garbage, so they left it behind. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's sort of what we've come to the conclusion that, you know, I, yeah. I was up on Bice Lake uh, at the beginning of the season, and it was trashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like from cutting trees to garbage to the fire pit. And that that's exa- the only thing we can think of. It was somebody that's never been before, didn't know yeah. all the, the etiquette of the backcountry, yeah. and hopefully they, they learn better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ontario parks have like their learn to camp program and the leave no trace program here in Canada. I mean, it's very easy to find the information online, but if you've never done it before, you know, your parents didn't bring you to the park and that I could definitely see people just not knowing what to do with their garbage. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. We found that a number of years ago when we were doing our park cleanup and for some reason, all of a sudden disposable diapers were the, the, the thing that, yeah, the thing that people were leaving behind. And I think it was, we found almost all of them where the recycling bins were. So people had a dirty diaper and they're like, well, where do we put this? Do we throw it in the garbage? Do we put it in the recycling? What do we do? And they're like, I don't know. Let's throw it in the woods. Yeah. For it. Um, and I think a lot of the garbage is really not people trying to trash the park. It's just people not knowing. And yeah. the more we educate that, I mean, you guys do that on your show. The more we educate that, the more we show them the proper way to do it, the better it's all going to be off. And you know what? That's all you can do is hopefully, you know, people get the knowledge they need and mm-hmm. continue. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know when we talk about it where you say, you know, it just, they trashed the site, weren't happy about it. Not trying to say, don't let these people back there. Mm-hmm. It's more along the lines, if they're going to go back, we got to somehow get them that education on, this is how you got to do it in the back country. And you'll probably yeah. enjoy yourself more too. Yeah, well, totally. You know, and I think that's like there's lots of tools out there to help educate those people. I mentioned the Learn to Camp program and Leave No Trace. We also have, you know, guiding programs in that too, where if you've never been on a backcountry canoe trip and you want to go, one of our guides can come with you for the whole trip or just part of the day or even just go every over everything at our, our base mm-hmm. with you too. So that's all scalable. If you don't want to spend a lot of money on having a guide come with you every day, yeah. we can do a guide for the day or our Greenhorn service, we call it at our at our base where our guide will spend up to half a day with you going through everything. And we can, we can help educate people that way too. And it's, it's something that all of us need to do our part in. You think of like Algonquin park. I haven't seen the stats for last year, but the last couple of years, it's just been shy of a million visitors every year. Yep. Last year, I guarantee it was over a million. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh, I I would be surprised if it wasn't like a million two or something. Yeah. Um, Normally but I, I mean, can find a place people... within the interior to book, but last year you couldn't even, you yeah. know, you go like four or five portages in, you can, you're you alone on a lake, but not last year. It was very hard to book anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, how many out of those million people does it take to cause that type of problem with leaving garbage behind or, you know, cutting down a tree on a campsite? Yeah. Well, it takes a few, right? Yeah. So I still say, you know, out of the people that caused those problems last year, 
I would think all of them were new people. They just didn't know what they were doing. And it was a very small handful of people that did it. Yeah. The vast majority of people that come to Algonquin Park, I still think, very much respect the outdoors. They want to leave it in better condition than when they came. And, you know, they're not going to do those things because they know better. So, yeah. yeah. I, I really hope that's, that is all that it is, is, is just lack of knowledge. And, you yeah. know, people will be, hopefully, you know, we had such a great time last year. Let's mm-hmm. go online and maybe start getting some gear and doing some research and hopefully they'll come across this sort of information going, Oh, wait a minute. Did you know they have a Thunderbox up that? <laughs> yeah. We we don't have to pee out the fire every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah, so. I can see somebody coming and not even realizing what that is mm-hmm. for. It. It's like, oh well, I'm just going to go in the woods here. It's like, yeah, don't leave your toilet paper in the woods. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but like you say, I mean, Algonquin's definitely a multi-use. Uh, for for us, it's it's canoe tripping. Um, you know, lake and river travels and whitewater trips down the Petawawa and Madawaska rivers, getting away from people, viewing the wildlife, doing some fishing, some swimming. Uh, and I mean, with, with Derek and myself, it's definitely family trips, getting back to nature. And it's definitely a lot cheaper than taking the whole family to Mexico. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, what else here? Oh, well, there's a meanest link. So hopefully... We're going to try to get a couple other shows this year with uh, Algonquin, um, Algonquin Outfitters. Hopefully, we'll get Rich Swift on. Yep. Uh, we'll get Gord Baker on to talk Minus Link and um, the Brent Run. And one person I would love to get on the show we've talked about, we don't know if it'll ever happen, but Jake Pigeon. Uh, I met Jake... Man, years ago, years ago through Mark Rubino, <laughs> yeah. we went up to Cedar. Uh, Mark, Marcus uh, guides with you guys uh, yes. with, with Algonquin yeah. Outfitters. Yeah, um, Marcus had a, a, a Roger TV show last year. He Yeah, in the last couple of years, two he's seasons. done yep. the... Uh, or is it three seasons? Two? No, it's just two, two yeah, seasons. Two, seasons. Now, yeah. two so far, yeah. Um, but yeah, we went up there and all of a sudden this guy that is like a skinny Santa Claus... <laughs> walks out, you know, the, the big white beard yeah. and white hair. And he's been up there since the sixties. He's been up there a while. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. J- Jake actually, uh, um, was, was born in Algonquin park to a logging family. And there's a wonderful article written by his cousin on our website under our news section. So if you went to algonquinoutfitters.com and just search for Jake pigeon, it should come up. Um, he has, he has probably the, one of the richest, you know, experiences and history in Algonquin Park as anybody. I remember being up there with Jeffrey McMurtry. He was on a trip with us and he was talking about maps with Jake. And they were talking like old trappers maps and all this stuff yeah. that you won't ever find anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, now Jeffrey McMurtry does the uh, Unlostify maps now. Yeah. He was uh, um, Jeff's maps. Yeah. Uh, but, formerly. uh, formerly Jeff's maps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just such a history to sit down and, and, and talk with Jake is, you could be there for days. He's a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. If you want to, you history, could. you would be there for days. Yeah. We, we, uh, we, when me and the boys, we did the meanest link, uh, was it two years ago? We, uh, we stopped in and we, we wasted a 
well, I, I shouldn't say wasted. It was like uh, we, we just we had to keep talking to the guy. He was so fascinating. And uh, so we met him at the store and and he we just it was so fascinating to hear the stories he had to tell and the history of the park that he, he was able to relate to us. And so I think we were there for like three or four hours and uh until finally he was like you boys you got you have something you got to be doing <laughs> well that was us with the brent run because you yeah. go from canoe lake up to brent yeah. and back and when uh, we got yeah, up to yeah. the brent up to brent there and yeah. talking to jake and it's just like and it's like yeah we 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 gotta go <laughs> don't want to this but is a race <laughs> this is a race we're doing <laughs> you know we've just spent an hour sitting here <laughs> If we miss that record by one hour, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, well, I, I will definitely reach out to Rich and Gord and see what I can do with Jake, and uh, we'll definitely be back again. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much to cover that you know we can't do it. Definitely do it in in one show. Uh, Algonquin Outfitters 60th anniversary this year. You guys do have a few things planned, um, not 100% planned yet, but uh, anything you want to share with us right now, or do we all got to wait? <laughs> we do have some things planned for sure. Um, one thing that's already out is we have an article about the love stories around Algonquin Outfitters that was just published uh, this past weekend on Valentine's Day. Okay. Um, that's on our website also. Um, we're looking at telling a lot of uh, kind of the history and stories and that. And we've got a couple other things in the bag too that I can't talk about yet. All right. Um, but so I can talk about some of the, the annual events that we do. Yeah. What do you got um, on your website? Because these are all found on your website. Yeah. Yeah. And if then, you go to yeah. go com and just look around quite often, what's happening right now will be right on the homepage. Um, right now we have the Bant Mountain Film Festival mm-hmm. that has we've hosted forever. Um, you know, a couple of decades going on, almost coming up on 30 years sometime soon for it um but we've hosted always at the algonquin theater in huntsville we do like three nights of different films and we have like 1200 people come out to see it and that and unfortunately we can't do that right now so it's all online mm-hmm. so you can go to our website and there's uh information right there on the home page and under the events tab about the Bant mountain film festival you can buy tickets online and you can watch it at your leisure at home um, you know, get your family and your household together to, to watch it. And we can't tell how many people are watching it. So we can't charge you per person. So it's, yeah. it's actually cheaper. <laughs> One big it. person. <laughs> yeah. And we have, there's four programs. So like four nights of different films. Um, there's a special on all four of them and you get longer time to watch them if you rent them all together, or you can rent them one at a time too, if you want. Cool. Um, yeah. We also have a, a monthly photo contest that we do with our local photography store, Cavalcade Photo in Huntsville. And every month there's a couple of prizes available. Actually, there's some really nice prizes available for uh, photo finishing credits with them and that too, that you can use to, to enlarge your prints and hang them on the wall and that. Um, every month there's a new topic. This month is, is black and white. Um, I come from the black and white age myself. When I first started taking photography, it was uh, with black and white film. And uh, it's pretty easy just to convert a color picture to black and white and tweak it that way before you yeah. enter it. So every month there's a new contest that way. We also have a $100 gift card that we give away with uh, the Huntsville Doppler. Um, there's a link on our website for that too. And coming up really soon, the well-sought-after, waited-for contest of our annual ISO contest oh, is yes. going to be launched really soon. So we'll be uh, opening the doors to let you vote on when Lake Opiongo is going to be ice-free. And there's some wonderful prizes for the people that guess right too. I'm going March, or sorry, May, May 3rd. <laughs> 
I'm going May 3rd this year. I'm never, ever close. <laughs> Sorry about that. I'm either like two weeks early or two weeks late. <laughs> well, if you, if you if you pick March. <laughs> I'm picking you February. Would... Yeah. April 10th There's, at 2 p.m. It's kind of funny. There's always some throw out there guesses. Um, I always guess my birthday, which is April 5th, and I, I never win. Um, but believe it or not, the earliest date is actually uh, March 29th. See? Oh, okay. So yeah. it, it, it has happened before. You and the latest date is... Point. Yeah, the, the latest date is May 15th. Yeah. Wow. So there, there's year. records that go back over 50 years of the ice out dates. So, you know, if you guess, do take a look at the records so that you can see what the trends are so you can actually, you know, have a well-educated guess. Um, but yeah, we get people that vote like, july awesome (laughs) most definitely out not (laughs) (laughs) technically they're right there is ice out yep yeah um we we get people asking how it's determined every year too so it's determined by our water taxi being able to navigate all the way up into the north arm free of ice and then be able to return oh okay so yeah and that's coming up Dun, yep. dun. So if you can predict, <laughs> predict a uh, a late spring windstorm <laughs> combined yeah. with seasonal temperatures, boom, that's it. And a nice hot rain. <laughs> hot rain. <laughs> so if a meteor comes down and hits Opiongo, burns all the ice, is that ice out? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as long as the water taxi can still get up to the North Harbor back again. <laughs> all right, I'm protecting, predicting a comet. Go, so, comet. So there, you do know there's a meteorite crater in Algonquin Park, right? I do, I do. The That's the why I'm crater. thinking. Yeah. Yeah. 400 <laughs> yep. million year old meteorite crater. One of the, not the oldest, but one of the oldest definitely documented meteorite craters in North America. Well, hopefully it's not a meteor that big. Just enough to take <laughs> yes, the ice yes. out and let me win. <laughs> I, I actually, it's kind of funny. I used to say that it it's actually like predates the dinosaurs like 400 million years ago. Mm-hmm. And I actually had somebody online that knew his things correct me. And it actually predates flowers. So really? it, it is a long, long time ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How many years ago would predate flowers? <laughs> well, four hundred million. Four hundred million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Predates flowers. So it's it's kind of neat. It's not a smoking hole in the ground anymore because it's been through a few ice ages. Yeah, but yeah. if you go down the road to Brent, there's a tower on the side of the road, and if you climb mm-hmm. the tower, you can actually see you're standing on the one side of the rim, and you can see the other side of the rim, and there's a point in the middle and a couple of lakes in the bottom. Have you and ever been then, to the lakes you know, in the bottom? Um, I have not been to the lakes in the bottom. Yeah. No. I've passed by them a billion times, yeah. give yep. or take a million, <laughs> always on the yep. way down the road to Brent. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah. There, always, I've a... got to go there one day. i got to go there one day. One day still hasn't shown up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, There is an interpretive hiking trail down there, and I yeah. do believe there's a canoe route through there too. Oh, yeah. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah, I've not been on the hike either. <laughs> I still have lots of things on my bucket list to do in Algonquin Park, so. Yeah, ditto. I've spent hundreds of days in the back country and I still probably have hopefully hundred days left to, to spend in the back country too. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're right there with you. Well, I can predict a trip. It's uh post COVID we drive up there. We can, uh, interview in person, Jake Pigeon. That's why it has to be post COVID. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and on the uh, way in or out, we can do the Brent crater. 
Huh? Yeah. Sounds like a road trip to uh, me. We'll pick Randy up on the way through. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Meet us at the Timmy's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jump in and off we go. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, before we head out and say goodnight for the evening, um, we're drinking some Lake of Bays Brewing Company beer this evening. And we are drinking Paddle on Session IPA. <laughs> that well, was apparently me. Randy's drinking something. <laughs> apparently Randy's just starting. <laughs> now we got to start the show all over again. Way to go, Randy. <laughs> um, this is the paddle on. If you want to tell the story about this one, in partnership with Algonquin Outfitters. Yeah. So paddle on is a session ale um, from Lake of Bays, a local brewery here, craft brewery. Um, they have some wonderful beers and their, their, uh, branding is taste the great outdoors, which connects very well with us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the Lake of Bays paddle on beer is a little bit of a joint agreement between Algonquin Outfitters and Lake of Bays and, and, and Ontario tourism. Um, it's, uh, it's in a beautiful yellow can with a couple of cross paddles on it. It's got a little bit of lemon zest in there. And uh, it was brought in as a summer beer. Um, if you drink it, you yeah, you think that it's it's a wonderful little summer beer to to have and enjoy in that. Um, but it's been so popular that it hasn't gone away. It's been available every summer, every fall, every winter, every spring, and it's mainline for them now. So yeah, because it's it supposed at, uh, to be a uh, seasonal, was it not? Yeah, yeah, it was supposed to be just a summer for it. But it's been so popular they they haven't discontinued it for it. So we're going on I think three years now. Yeah, excellent for it. So. Yeah. Uh, I know I had to hit a couple different beer stores to find it. Uh, the other one is the Spark House Red Ale by mm-hmm. Lake of Bays. I'm having a, one of those right now, and it's actually quite good. Yeah, that, I'm sorry. I had a sip. <laughs> <laughs> now Randy's trying to catch up. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, that was their very first beer. Um, it's it's probably the most loved beer. It's uh, very popular by lots of people, and it's a, a red ale, as you just said. So mm-hmm. anybody that likes a red ale is definitely going to like it. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. it's good. What else do you have there? Um, what's the last other one? There's the There's Starboard. Yeah, I think the yep. Starbird's the other New one. New England IPA. Yep. There's the uh, Thousand Islands. Oh yeah, the rest of them are all Thousand Islands. Oh, that's oh, that's the different. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there that's we go. a different that's, brewing that's company. A different different brand. Company. Yeah, yeah, different brand. <laughs> it was in front of me. Yeah. There. Um, yeah, they're they're like I say, they tend to go really fast down here. Mm-hmm. You'll find them at uh, at beer stores and liquor stores and that. Um, but if you come to you know Huntsville, Lake of Bay's area, Bracebridge and that, they actually have a couple of uh, they have the brewery and then they have a couple of uh, restaurant microbreweries. So one of the really cool things that's happened in the last several years is they now can brew these micro batches. Yep. So they're always coming out with new flavors and new beers and that, and then the ones that are most popular then go to to full production. Cool. So I'm actually I'm actually enjoying a a very kind of exotic one. It's called uh, Red Sky at Night. It's a peach cranberry rattler. Hmm. So okay. I'm not a big rattler fan. <laughs> I like them. Yeah. And my wife likes them. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's too close to rattlesnake. <laughs> Don't like them. Snake this idea. definitely has nothing to do with rattlesnake. <laughs> do they- I think you would like it. It's got a couple of uh, canoeists on the cover here. There's a couple of windswept pines on a couple of islands with uh, oh. oh, that's the divorce c- beer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those aren't windswept. Those are still being winded. Do they have a stout? 
Um, they they have had stouts. Um, I'd have to look to see what's currently in the line, but they they definitely have had some stouts in the past. Hmm. They they have a really out. actually I think it's a stout. They have um, a coffee beer that I I really really like. Um, like a coffee. You know, check porter? out their website. Sorry, a coffee porter. Um, I believe it is. Yeah. 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 Um, check out their website. They have all of their mainline ones that you can find at the the beer stores and liquor stores and that. But then if you're ever into Huntsville or Bracebridge, they have the brew houses and that the brew house in Huntsville and the barrel house in Bracebridge that they opened the last year. Road trip. For it. Yeah. <laughs> road, Definitely trip. road trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, Randy, I want to thank you very much for uh, coming on this evening and, uh, and having a chit chat with us i'm sure we'll uh, get you on uh, again we'll get out like i say get right up your way and have a chit chat with all you guys excellent thanks for having me it's been fun uh yeah yeah no it has been uh is there anything before we go that you want to mention or chit chat about uh just i i am going to reach out to rich and gordon that and yep. uh see if i can get them on an upcoming episode and that and just Thanks to, you know, all of your listeners for, for listening tonight and, you know, hit our, our website, check us out. Um, we're at AlgonquinOutfitters.com. Um, we are taking bookings already for the season. So if you yep. want to rent a canoe or book a complete canoe trip or a guided trip or whatever, um, we are doing those. We do rent life jackets and everything in that too. Um, a lot of people last year was asking if we rented life jackets because of COVID. We are sanitizing everything and, and making sure that everything is, is safe and, and that for all of our customers. Uh, um, if yeah. you do happen to book a guide through Algonquin Outfitters and you get Marcus, tell him, <laughs> yes. just say Sean and Derek from Paddling Adventures Radio says that you will piggyback us across the poor pond. Yes, yes. Right? <laughs> we're, we're actually not allowing that during COVID. They have to be a little farther <laughs> apart than that. So. <laughs> so, so there's a rickshaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> Uh, well, when COVID's over and you happen to get Marcus as a guide, yeah. tell him <laughs> you're supposed to piggyback us yeah. across the if portage. If he doesn't know the secret password, he must piggyback you across the portage. And we're not giving out the password. <laughs> we do We do get requests from people all the time for special things with guides. We get people that, you know, I want a guide that will help me fish and that. So we always try to match up the proper guide for the proper group. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did a group with six women once and I'm pretty sure when they called, they said they wanted a Sherpa because (laughs) (laughs) it was a short canoe trip. We were only gone for, I think three days. Um, but they, they wanted somebody to carry everything over the portages and set up all the tents and cook everything and do dishes. And I, I knew that ahead of time, so I didn't have a problem with it, but it was a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we got to a portage and I carried all three canoes i think we had it oh wow four canoes at the time across um back and forth back and forth back and forth um we don't typically do that we ch- we tend to like to you know teach people the proper ways to do things so that they can do it themselves yeah i think um, I, so I they would don't think have to come back the and experience. use guides yeah 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 but we get all different types of people yeah. that want a guide and you know the, you know some of them want somebody that can you know teach them the history of the park or you know, teach them to fish or just make sure that they do everything right or do everything for them. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I've, we've had conversations with Marcus and uh, I know he's had a couple of people that were, you Interesting. know, definitely want to get right immersed yeah. into yeah. all of it, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Man. The best thing is, is if you do call to book a guide is just to be very clear on what you're expecting. Yeah. And then that way, you know, we can properly connect you with the, the, the person who has the best skills yep, to do it. Yeah. yeah most definitely. 
Uh, you'll be out there in no time guiding again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we get past COVID and everything and we can open everything back up again. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Exactly, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the vaccine is going to move us a lot in that right direction. And for now we all have to do our part just to, you know, make sure everybody's safe and we follow all the rules and exactly. And that, so, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Randy. And, uh, we'll, we'll chat at you, uh, I'm sure many more times live and in person. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download and stream all our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast download sites. If you go to the episode page at Paddling Adventures Radio, you can listen to all 262 episodes. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with all your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. Again, thanks to Randy Mitson for coming on from Algonquin Outfitters uh, on this week's show. Uh, I would like to thank everybody for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.